Grizzle recently conducted a quant study on the oil and gas industry where we filtered over a thousand oil and gas stocks down to only eight with very high dividend yields that most importantly look sustainable even at lower commodity prices. In our podcast today, we have the pleasure of bringing you an exclusive interview with the CEO of the company that screened number one in our entire study. You're going to be hearing from Phil Hodge, CEO of Pine Cliff Resources, as we dig deep on how sustainable his almost 9% dividend yield really is. Enjoy. The myth, the man, the legend is here. Phil Hodge, he's CEO of Pine Cliff Energy. As we said, they were the top ranked company in our screen, and he's been running the company since 2012, right, Phil? That's right. So long history of uh, stellar performance. And so it's, it's a great, we're very lucky to have him here to talk about the company because he's a very long history of running this stock. It's not, he didn't come from somewhere else and is trying to make changes. And so all the performance you've seen in the past, which has been great, is down to Phil. So we're very excited to, to chat with him more about the company and, and understand what they're doing and why they may have screened so high in our, uh, in our stock screener. So welcome, Phil. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for the invitation, Scott. Appreciate it. All right. So l- let me start it off for, for anyone listening who doesn't know your assets inside and out. Could you tell us a bit about your producing assets just quickly and how you, you believe you were able to maintain one of the lowest decline rates in Canadian shale drilling? Yeah, happy to. The Our focus has always been on Western Canadian assets, primarily uh, in Alberta, although we do have some, uh, some assets in Saskatchewan as well. <clears throat> but the goal has always been to really focus on what we would call legacy assets. So these are assets that have been drilled for some time ago, and then we manage and operate them going forward. It's if you that's where we find the low decline. And for those of your listeners that are familiar with kind of the production decline photo of a of a well, you get a, a massive initial production, and then the it. it there's a harmony, a harmonization of the well down to a longer payout over decades in many cases. And those are, we tend to focus on the assets that we've been buying tend to focus on the, on that tail of the productions, which is why we have, as you've mentioned, we have the lowest production decline of any public company in Canada. That's great. Yeah, that's, that's powerful, right? Cause it, it lets you, your reinvestment rate is lower. You have more certainty of what's going to happen next year, not as many surprises. So it, it gives you more flexibility in how you manage the company, right? That's exactly it. I mean, when I started, uh, as you mentioned, I started in 2012, so I was employee number one, but the, my chairman of the board was a gentleman by the name of George Fink. And in my view, George ran, I think one of the most sustainable dividend oil and gas names uh, for decades, which was uh, Bonterra paid out over a billion dollars of dividends. I mean, George paid himself over $100 million of dividends during that period of time on a fairly small base. And I and that's that's interesting. I, I, I found your whole, you know, the research work that you guys did fascinating. And I'm, I'm a bit of a geek on this stuff. But the fact that, you know, it, as you guys pointed out, it didn't just highlight a bunch of micro caps that, oh, you, you know, here's your leverage and there's got to be risk to the, it, you know, we we filtered very well with some, some companies that are, you know, multi-billion dollar market cap. Um, but it's all goes to that sustainability of a dividend. And that's always what we've been trying to build for, for the last 12 years. We just started the dividend last June, but the goal was never changed for 12 years. It was to build a natural gas dividend company off Canadian assets. Hmm. Interesting. So maybe just expanding on that. So you've been with the company for 10 years. Can you kind of tell us what is your long-term strategy for Pinecliff and has it changed 
versus what you think the wor- how the world works now versus what you've done the, the last 10 years? You know what? The, the, it's gotten stronger. Um, I always felt that natural gas was going to be a very part, a very important part of the energy profile for decades to come. And I, and I, I believe that more now than ever. And a big reason, um, one thing that actually happened right during the time that we've been, um, you know, founded Pinecliff and have been operating Pinecliff is that North America, specifically the United States, has become the single largest LNG exporter in the world. In 2016, they exported zero. So only only you know seven years ago they were at zero. Today they they it's over 14 and a half BCF a day, making them the world's largest export. That has a huge impact on all natural gas producers in in North America. And what makes it even more exciting for for the for Canada and uh, and for you know producers in Canada is that we're finally on the right side of the pipe for LNG starting on the west coast in 24 months from now. Yeah, I think I think you know it's it's been slow going in, in Canada to get those um, LNG facilities going, but I think you just need that first company to go and yeah. the government to see how successful this is and the opportunity because the rest of the world needs so much of our cheap gas, and that will like open the floodgates. And I, I know that from an economics perspective, there's lots of cheap resources in Canada. You guys have a huge opportunity to be a global leader like the U.S. is becoming in LNG, in, in our opinion. I, I, I agree with you. I think it's going to be the one thing, the one of the few advantages Canada has over the United States when it comes to LNG. You'd think we're, we're starting late. Yes, we can all be, you know, uh, very remiss and, uh, you know, and uh, look back and wish we had the 18 facilities that used to be on the on the books. I think the better way to look at it is we're actually getting one built. It's the single biggest project in all of Canada right now, $40 billion project, and it's got the ability to expand. It's got the, the pipeline capacity that's already being built, doesn't need to be uh, expanded. It just needs to add compression. So you could easily get to four BCF a day very quickly just from that one facility. And just for your listeners' context, we only produce 18 BCF a day in, in Canada today. So to be able yeah. to start exporting four BCF a day, that's that's a big, big number. We're talking over, you know, getting close to 25% of all of our production. So it, it it's super exciting, and we and the you know the advantage we have over the U.S. is that because of political reasons, they really can't build LNG facilities on their west coast because they got to deal with California and Oregon and and uh, Washington. All of be very difficult to uh, to build facilities. So Canada actually, ironically, is going to be competing with Mexico for that for that Asian market, and then Mexico will be using our gas directly or indirectly through the U.S. Um, to do that. So we we're I agree with you. We're it's a we're in a, a great position uh, as as you know to really utilize Canadian Western Canada natural gas. Yeah, the way I understand is you have a geographic advantage because you can export from the West Coast. Your costs of LNG to Asia are slightly lower than the U.S. because of that uh, location. It's almost fifty percent less shipping time. So it makes a huge difference versus the Gulf of Mexico and having to go through the Panama versus going directly west because they to the Asian markets, not to the European markets, but yep. the Asian markets make up 66% of all of the imports of uh, LNG. And it's not that's not going down anytime soon. China is a huge importer of LNG, but so is Korea. So is uh, Japan. So is all that, that, the, that, you know, you're now seeing mainly um, you know in Europe especially but we're seeing the the building out of LNG import infrastructure like we've never seen before it's, it, you know the fact that Germany built an, an LNG import facility within 200 days 
And again, that was, it was predicated on and needed because of the invasion of Ukraine and that they don't have the uh, Russian pipeline gas to access anymore. But it just shows how quickly this is, this whole market is developing right before our eyes. It's quite, it's quite fascinating. Yeah, it's an exciting time to be an energy investor, I think. I agree with you. So I uh, wanted to refocus maybe a bit on uh, the company, and I wanted to ask you, um, so we've seen commodity prices come off a bit the last month as people refocus on, on economic growth and, and fears of whether it's slowing. Do we get a recession in three months, six months, nine months? So let's talk about uh, buffers against falling commodity prices. So in your view, what's your biggest buffer? Is it your large cash balance or is it your lack of debt? So if you needed to, you could obviously borrow quite a bit. Like if you could have one, which is more important to you? Cash. I'd always, <laughs> I'd always take cash if, I, if that's my two choices. I, you know, the, you're seeing it already play out with some other names that have gone dividends that are in your list that are, are going to keep their dividend um, because they've just, in many cases, just started their dividend. But they're, it's pretty obvious that they're probably going to have to use debt. Now they've got, you know, the entire industry has got stronger balance sheets than they've ever had in the history that I've been around. I've you know been around since the early nineties in the energy sector. So th this is a, you know, they can do that. I personally, my own view is that if we can, you know, we have our, our commitment for 2023 is about $46 million is what our, our, our dividend commitment is. We have close to 60 million in the bank. So, it is, you know, and that's shareholder money. You know, I, that's the way I look at it. It is a, I don't think I could have given those out in special dividends. I could have used, saved it for a buffer, which is what we chose to do. We've grown by acquisition. And so, you know, we've gone from a hundred barrels a day when I was, I, when I was employee number one to 21,000 today, the, we intend to still be acquiring assets. So that's a, a big reason why we kept the cash buffer, but a, another very, a very solid reason of keeping that cash buffer is to make sure that our dividend is sustainable. We, we just started our dividend in June. The last thing I want to do is cut it. So we've, I've got a really nice safety net for that dividend. I like the way your, your, the metrics that you guys use to, to look at that debt is, you know, the, if you're going to run a dividend, a sustainable dividend in a commodity business, you better run it with low debt because you're just, it, you cannot predict the commodity swings other than there's going to be swings. You just don't know when, you don't know. I mean, we're seeing, there's so many, I mean, the freehold, the uh, freehold uh, LNG facility went down and, and it didn't come back as quickly as people thought it did. I mean, who, you couldn't predict that. We just had wildfires here in Alberta that drove up gas prices. We couldn't have predicted that they were going to happen in May and to the extent that they did. I mean, things like that just happen. And so I think it's important to build flexibility into your model, to be able to deal with, with, these occurrences really last summer gas prices went to ten dollars because it, it was such a hot summer and uh, and that compounded on the fact of the european uh, you know dealing with the the russian invasion of ukraine again all these things you know all, all you can do is try to make your model as defensible as possible to deal with things that you know you're not going to be able to see coming at you yeah. Now, what I'm curious about too is is the debt because you basically paid off all your debt at the same time you have this cash buffer. Was that like a macro view, or you just said we're making all this cash, let's de-risk, and then if we want to do M and A in the future, like what, what was the thinking to have the cash buffer and pay off all the debt? Yeah, it was it was a, an abundance of riches, frankly. I mean, we had we had our, in 2021 we had the best cash flow year in the history of Pinecliff in our 10 years that we've been running it was 59 million dollars of cash flow 
last year, we did $55 million of cash flow in one quarter. I mean, it was, so we had um, an amazing amount. So we went, you know, about a hundred million dollars swing last year from our debt position, our net debt position swung a hundred million dollars to our, to our cash position. And so it is, I did it just, why am I paying interest if I don't need to pay interest was the very simple. It'd be no different than our, how you might handle your own personal bank account. It's like, well, mm-hmm. it's kind of silly. So we, we paid it all off. We're very comfortable that if there is an acquisition that needs to have uh, equity or debt, we're very fortunate with the uh, shareholder base that we've built up. I mean, it, the, it was interesting because you guys talked about this and, and uh, I totally agree with you. So I'm at, at my heart, I'm an investor and always have been. And, and so I've the markets. I find very, you know, I'm like you, if I see a 10% dividend yield, it's a red flag. It's like something's going on. The, the stock price yeah. must. Be Anyone dropping. who's been in the market as long as we have is it, you. You have been burned if you've gone chasing yeah. after a ten percent. So you go, and, and I told my board this when we put the dividend in place, which I think we, were, you know, we set it originally. It was like it's it's six, seven, eight percent somewhere in that range, but I wanted people to get that red flag. I wanted to get on the filters. I wanted people to go, oh, there must be an issue with this P and E. Let's smart. go take a look at it, and then they go there and go, wow, these guys are debt free. Um, they've got huge insider ownership. It's not, you know, it's not unusual. It's fairly unusual that you got a half a billion dollar company that, you know, got over 10% insider ownership. On top of that, the single, one of the biggest institutional investors in all of Canada is our biggest shareholder, which is AIMCO. And so there's a bunch of unique characteristics. The, the, the low decline rate, we're single digit production decline rate. Anybody who's an oil and gas investor knows how rare that is. We've got the industry average is like 28, 29% decline rate, and we've got about 7%. Yeah, so there's absolutely. a bunch of things that I, that I wanted to highlight when people come to us. I still think we're flying under the radar. That, uh, you know, the uh, work that, that, uh, that you guys are doing sure helps get us uh, on people's radar, but we, we don't even have an annual dividend rate yet, right? I mean, until June kicks around, if anyone's plug, plugging into Bloomberg, give me the best annual dividend rates, we're not gonna show up yet because we don't even, you know, we haven't even had one full year of a dividend, but it's coming. And it's, you know, today we're over 10% dividend yield. I mean, you're heading paid to wait, I think is fantastic. I think that's, <laughs> you, you can try to time That's how that. we feel. Yeah, I mean, my, the advice I give people when they ask me about it, I said, look, Whatever you do, get some natural gas in your portfolio before 2025, because in 2025, the game changes LNG out of North America doubles. And, and so that's really critical. It's going to, it's going to have a huge impact on supply and demand. Now you can try to, you know, thread the needle perfectly and hit every buy at your absolute lows, or you can just buy you know, some of these very strong stocks now and get paid to wait and not have to worry about trying to time this thing. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. I mean, that's the way we look at it. It's it's a unique time, I think, on the LNG front where you have a, a more visibility than usual in commodity sure. markets. It's just you have this, is there going to be a recession or not? But that's more a short-term concern versus we're talking multi-years now. So it, it is this does make sense to buy a company that's going to be sustainable and you get paid to go through that volatility and then you're kind of off to the races because there is upside in these dividend payers like what we look at with you guys is you do have upside to commodity prices. It's not just 10% is the best you're going to get. And a lot of these other companies seem to offer that too. So it's really a best of both worlds uh, is, is our opinion on it. I, I, I agree with you. And there's some great names on your list. The, you know, we weren't, it wasn't very long ago. We were at over $2 a share. I mean, we're still, there's, there's a, 
I think the hope around the energy sector is that at some point, a lot of the generalist investors just can't keep ignoring the return of capital that's happening in our sector. Mm-hmm. And as they return, there's a high probability that we might see a bit of a share multiple increase back to where, I mean, we've typically over the decades traded five to eight times. At times we've traded 10 times cash flow. I mean, we're trading now at three, four times cash flow, right? And, yeah. and you know, it's so it, it, that's, it's going to be a tide raise, rises all boats. I think that, that if you're in this certain boats, I think you're probably going to get raised a little bit quicker or faster than, than some of the other names. And I, I think the, the metrics that you guys use that are the same metrics that I look at as an investor. I mean, insider ownership is a big one for me. I've always, I, I really want to see that alignment of interest. I want the CEO to be lying at, at night, staring at the roof, worrying about his stock price. Uh, because it impacts his family and his mm-hmm. his personal wealth, and so that's that's a key one for me. I think having the the nice thing about Pinecliff is that it is a it's a boring model from an oil and gas standpoint. There isn't a lot of execution risk where we can screw things up going into new fields. This is it's a manufacturing type exercise. It's us continuing to operate the same types of assets we've been operating for over a decade. Um, I think there's going to be an opportunity for us to consolidate, continue to consolidate that space because we're kind of, we are the only public company that's focused on these assets in Canada. And again, they're not super exciting, you know, like, you know, Termaline, which is one of the companies that shows up in your list is a fantastic company, very good company, very well run, but a very, even though we're both 85% gas weighted, very different business models. In the last three years, they've drilled 840 wells. In the last three years, we've drilled 10. So like just very different business models. Yeah, that comes across in the financials, I think, and and why you're on this screen uh, so high up. Now, I wanted to ask you about the production profile because it's interesting. I noticed when you started, you had very rapid growth. I assume that was from acquisitions. Correct. And then you kind of, then that tailed off and you decided to maintain your production for the last five or so years. Was that kind of integrating the acquisitions? And then you can see, if, if pricing, say we have another commodity sell-off because we get negative GDP growth for a quarter, could you see that growth coming from M&A again? Or like, what was, what kind of went on? Just take me through the history of Pinecliff. Yeah, here. it's, it's, you know, we, the, we had this discussion just today, just internally with our management team. I was saying that, you know, we, there's going to be assets. There's always assets that are available. And we, we've been in the acquisition market now for 12 years. So we're, we, we know, you know, we get the calls when an asset comes out and uh, we look at that. I, I really am intrigued by this business model. I think, you know, we're, I don't know, 20, 23rd biggest natural gas producer in Canada right now. But so I think the one comment I would have, or one uh, criticism I get when I meet with big institutions is that we're small, you know, we're a $500 million market cap, which, you know, some listeners may think is, is large, depending on what they, but it, in the global, you know, in the list of names that you've got on there, it is quite small. I, I think, I mean, quite intrigued by, can we build this model bigger and be more relevant to more people, more institutions, get in indices, et cetera, without giving up the, everything that we've, you know, the tenants that we built this business around. And I think, I think that's possible. I think it is that we can continue to add assets in the in 2019 2020 we had the worst gas prices in 30 years in western canada and we still made money we didn't make much money but that's where you where you saw that where we quit drilling it made no sense to drill why are you drilling why are you bringing on production when gas prices are a buck 50 that makes yeah. no sense 
a lot of the growth models, they don't have a choice. They've got a 30% decline rate, in some cases a 40% decline rate. If they stop drilling, it becomes a totally different, you know, all their metrics fall off a cliff. Their GNA, everything's been built for that, that model. Ours is, ours is, we run this 21,000 BOE a day with 35 people in head office of employees and contractors. It's just a different model. So I, I think it's, uh, you know, will we see some, we saw some growth year over year in our production. Um, the wells that came on were quite well. Matter of fact, we drilled one of the top Alberta wells uh, in uh, last year, one of our Pakisco wells. You find it on, I think, slide 32 in our pr presentation. Most mm -hmm. oil and gas companies would have that in slide two or three, but that's not what you're about. That's not what we're about. And I, and I think, I find that retail investors, family offices, we have a we get very good traction with because it's it's not a complex model it's not a geology model I don't have to explain Montney and Clearwater and and uh, you know yes we we are an oil and gas company predominantly gas but it's really a financial model we're closer to a royalty stream model frankly than we are to the traditional E and P model that's a, that's a great way to put it actually I think it helps that would help people listening to put it in perspective. Yeah. I mean, what we have, we have a lot of wells, a lot, and we're very proud of the fact that 90% of all of our wells are active. Um, so that you know, we, we've spent a lot of money on, on continuing to clean up, even in the really lean years. And before it was mandated, we were spending money on abandonment reclamation. We think that's just part of the business model. That's one of the costs. The one thing I, you know, and you guys focused on this and something I love when investors focus on is free cash flow. And I, and when I mean free cash flow, I mean, after every single penny you, you spend, like, I don't care how much you pay your officers or how much, what, what your, what your GNA or like put, just tell me after every single dollar you spend, how much money do you have left to give to shareholders? And I think that's where we really shine is because we don't have to spend much on CapEx. We don't, you know, most of the businesses, because they have the higher decline rate, they have to spend a certain, you know, a lot more money than we do to keep their production flat. And it's the, so then, you, you know, I think a free cash flow to me is the best way to, to even um, judge oil and gas stocks against other industries, you know, like like compare our free cash flow to anybody else's free cash flow. The I think the then you start getting into the nuances and your your criteria and filters uh, highlight that. Is it having low debt makes a huge difference? Not just when it, in gas in a rising interest environment like we're in right now, but just generally, I think it just allows as an investor you you've got a lot more security in a low debt strong balance sheet scenario. That's a great way to put it. Well, you know, Phil, you've been very generous with your time. I don't want to um, take take too much more, but if anyone else has any more questions before we uh, head out, make sure to ask them now. Otherwise, this has been a great insight into Pinecliff. Again, I, I would recommend checking out our note. There's a lot more information on the company. We looked at it, you know, 10 different ways. And then you can go to their website and, and check out the company more, listen to conference calls, do, do that whole thing. That's kind of how you dig in. But hearing from the CEO who's been running the company for a long time, it doesn't really get much better than that. So Phil Hodge, uh, CEO of Pinecliffe Energy, thanks so much for joining yep. us today. I Thank you very much for having me. I, I, I would echo your last sentiment about if on our uh, website, we try to put a lot of our, I try to do a lot more of these types of things. So I've done some podcasts and some Twitter interviews are all on our website. We've got a, a, a sign up sheet every quarter. I put my macro thoughts together and send them out to people. You can sign up, it's all free. And it's, I try to focus not so much on Pinecliff, but on what's going on in the natural gas space. So uh, I welcome any of your listeners to join our, uh, our subscription list. Great. 
All right. Well, Phil, you, you have a great day and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you soon. We'll be in touch. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. All right. Take care. All right, everybody. That was uh, Phil Hodge, CEO of Pinecliff Energy. That was a great conversation. Hope you enjoyed that. And uh, I, th I think we're going to wrap it up here for now. As always, you know, uh, thank you for being a subscriber. You're making all this possible. We got a lot more exciting analysis to come that we think is going to really help your process, help you save time, identify good ideas. We're going to be looking in different sectors, not just oil and gas. So definitely stay tuned. There's going to be a lot of exciting things from the Substack this year. And if you have any questions, you can find us. Just email us, reply to anything you get from Substack. We're, we're all here. So thank you again for your support. And I think we'll, uh, we'll sign off here and uh, we'll talk to you again soon.